So David has been running, and he's been hiding in different places. And Saul, you know the story that Saul um, came looking for David, but then he, um, the Philistines came. So he had to go back to take care of his own country from the Philistines. And after that was over, and he gets the report again that where David is hiding, and Saul is thinking, you know what, I need to go back and get this guy. I need to get him, otherwise my country will fall apart. Jonathan will not be able to succeed my throne. And David will be, uh, will be the next king. I can't see that over my dead body. So Saul is determined. And in chapter 24 of 1 Samuel, we see Saul trying again to get David. And I'm reading from 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse this one. It says, After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Ein Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The man said, This is the day the Lord spoke of what, when he said to you, I will give you enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David creeped up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So here we see David and his men. He had 600 men, and they were hiding in the desert from Saul, from coming and capturing David and his men. And they were hiding, and Saul bringing how many people? 3,000 men. So Saul brought 3,000 chosen men from Israel, and Saul is trying to go after David and kill him. And David was hiding in where? Do you remember the place? Inside a cave of what area? It says Ein Gedi. Ein Gedi. So Ein Gedi is a very dry place. It's a place west of, uh, of Dead Sea. I'll show you a map. So if you look at a map of Israel, this is what this map looks like. So this is the Dead Sea, and there are three red dots, and you can't probably see the letters, but the, t the, the small dot on the top is Jericho, and the, the, the one in the middle is Jerusalem, the capital city, Jerusalem, and the one right next to, right left side of that, the Dead Sea is Ein Gedi, where that is. So that's the place near uh, the Dead Sea Scroll was found. Remember the the scroll, very famous scroll that has been preserved for thousands of years because of its location, how it was so dry, there's almost no humidity. So they were able to preserve the animal skin, uh, the scrolls of the Bible in there for thousands of years, and it was kept. It, what, it didn't, it didn't uh, get destroyed. So that is near that area. And the next picture will show you what this Ein Gedi looks like. So this is what the desert looks like. It's really dry, very like rocky place. But in the middle, you see some trees and some green. Why? Because there is an oasis. So Ein Gedi is an oasis, and that is the place where the water flows. And along the creek, you see the plants 
growing. And in that place, you can see lots of caves there. And also, what else you find there is this. Next slide. So this is the oasis. Like, out of nowhere, there is water source, and the water is flowing there. And from that time of David until now, you can see the water flowing in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of desert. That's Ein Gedi. Next picture. And in that place, what do you find? Goats. <laughs> so the alpine goat, or ibex. Um, they live there, and th did you see them climbing up on the mountains and the cliffs? And those creatures, I don't know how they do it, but they survive there and they live there. And that's what that means. So the word ein means spring in Hebrew, and gedi means uh, goats. So ein gedi actually means uh, the spring of goats or the fountain of goats. That's what that means. And that's where the fountains are, and that's where the sheep like to come and eat. So, and the next picture will also show you the, um, the more goats. And other picture, this is where they come to drink. And the next picture, the last picture, will show you some caves. See, so if you were to go around explore, there are hundreds, and if not thousands, of different caves there in that area. And one of those caves is the Dead Sea Scroll where the Dead Sea Scroll was found. And in one of those caves, so there are many caves. The purpose of those caves is for the shepherds to go around and, and put their sheep inside where it's much cooler to escape from the heat of the day. And also they have water there. So uh, shepherds would like to bring their sheep there and uh, put them in there and sometimes they take a nap and they stay there and rest. So that's what Ein Gedi is like. If you get a chance to go to Israel, please go visit that place west side of the Dead Sea, Ein Gedi, and also the Dead Sea Scroll. So David and his men were hiding in there. The advantage that he has is that he's hiding inside a cave. And because they are higher up on the um, elevation uh, from the people that are coming up from the valley, he has an advantage of spotting them when they come while they are hiding inside. And it's cooler. They water there. It's a perfect place for them to, to hide. And they have hundreds of thousands of different caves there. So you don't know if anyone is hiding in there. That's why the Dead Scrolls were preserved for thousands of years without anyone finding out. So David is hiding with his 600 men inside of that cave. And Saul with his 3,000 men. So they were really close, right? So Saul goes, and he's, he goes into one of the caves without knowing that David and his 600 men were already inside, far inside the cave, hiding. And David goes inside, to, I'm not David, Saul goes in there to do what? Verse 3 says that uh, he, Saul, came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went into, what does your Bible say? Some Bible will say, cover his feet. And some versions will say, relieve himself. So what was he doing? So did he go there because of the call of nature? Or did he go there to take a nap? This is still debated among the scholars because there is only one other place that uses the exact same Hebrew phrase in the Bible, which is, let's see, that verse is found in Judges 3, 4. 
Judges 3-4 talks about how Ehud, uh, the, the judge, left-handed judge, he goes and he, he assassins uh, Eglon, uh, a king. And he pulls out his, his sword and he, uh, he assassins. He kills the king there. But after killing the fat king, and he runs away from the back door and he locks all the doors inside as he leaves. And his servants wait outside and he, they knock at the door and, and there is no answer. And they're thinking, maybe the king is covering his feet. Let's leave him alone for a while. And after the some time passed, they were worried, like, he's not answering what's going on. And they go inside and they realize that king has been dead for a long time. So that's where the other phrase was used. So what does it mean? What does it say? Is he, did Saul go in to take a nap or did he go in there to use the bathroom? What do you think? <laughs> so I did the study. So I looked up 16 different commentaries, 16 of them. And guess what they say? Eight of the commentaries said that he went into sleep. The other eight said it was a call of nature. So exactly half and half. <laughs> of the 16 commentaries I looked up. So then what does Ellen White say? Ellen White is silent on that issue. <laughs> She's silent. But S.A. Bible Commentary said that um, it was a call of nature. But we're not really sure what that is, what that is, because that's part of the 16 commentaries that I looked up. So we're not sure. What do you think? <laughs> Both? <laughs> so the cave is cooler inside and is a perfect place for you to take a nap. Same, similar idea for the king the servants to think that, you know what, the king, after talking with Ahud, uh, he's probably taking a nap. So maybe gave him an hour or two to take a nap instead of just 15 minutes for a bathroom break. Um, I'm thinking, I'm leaning toward more of a sleep because, just because, hear me out. If, oh, so this is what the, what the commentaries explain. So, King Saul didn't recognize David and his men inside because when you come in from a bright daylight outside, when you come inside the cave, you don't see anything inside, right? But then how long does it take for you to get used to the dark inside and rec start recognizing things inside? Does it take hours? Minutes. In a few minutes, you'll get your eyes will adjust and you will get used to it and you'll be able to see. So if David and his men, 600 of them are inside, the cave could have been big, but if they were inside, why would he not recognize them? If he was using the restroom inside, he wouldn't have taken hours and hours, maybe just a short time. And if he was using the restroom, meaning he was not asleep, then why would he not hear 600 people whispering, talking inside, like, David, that's King Saul. This is your chance. Go ahead and get him. David's like, no, 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 you can't do that. And eventually, well, if they were inside talking, okay, fine. How, do they, how does he not hear them? 
But also, second, David came sneaking behind him, and what did he do? Cut off a corner of his garment, his, his uh, kingly robe, that, that fancy robe, that purple probably uh, robe. He cut it off. So if King Saul was wearing his robe to cover his feet, cover his private part as he was there, if David crawls back in and cuts off his, his robe, would King Saul not hear David in that quiet desert? Hmm. If he took off his robe and put it next to him, still, he's not far away. Nobody goes and hangs your robe like 30 feet away from you for you to go use the restroom, right? You probably leave it right next to you. So I'm leaning more toward he went in there to take a nap. Because if he's sleeping, then he may just be out for 30 minutes or an hour, then he may not hear anything of what's going on. And he can't see anything because his eyes are closed. So that's why I'm leaning more toward this. But it's up to you, whatever you think, because Bible is really um, not so clear on that. But whatever the reason was, Saul went inside, and David and his men were already inside. And here... <clears throat> This is what his men were thinking. Patriots and Prophet, I will share the quote with you. Patriots and Prophet, page 661, paragraph 2 says, As Saul was pressing his way up the mountain, he turned aside and entered alone the very cavern in which David and his band were hidden. When David's men saw this, they uh, urged their leader to kill Saul. The fact that the king was now in their power was interpreted by them as certain evidence that God himself had delivered the enemy into their hand, that they might destroy him. David was tempted to take this view of the matter, but the voice of conscience spoke to him, saying, Touch not the anointed of the Lord. So here, his men I mean, how would they know King Saul as he entered in if they were hiding in the back? I mean, yeah, their eyes were used to the darkness, but how would you recognize someone that coming in? Because it's all the silhouette. You can't really tell, like, you know, he may have been talking, but he may not have been talking. So how would you know? How does Saul look different than anybody else? He's taller, a head taller than anybody else. So you can spot him very easily. Besides, what else? He, he's dressed differently than any other people. He has this long royal robe. And what else does he carry? There's a sword that nobody else has. And probably a spear. And, and anything else. So when he walks in, anybody can spot him like, oh, that's king. <laughs> because he looks different than anybody else. So from behind they were able to notice him right away, even though he didn't see anyone or anything, any movement inside. So they were all thinking, so why are they hiding in there? 600 of them. They were hiding to escape for their lives. They were trying to save their lives. They were hiding from King Saul because he wanted to get rid of them. Do you think it was fun for them to stay in there and hide? Yeah, let me ask you, <clears throat> a road trip, how many of you like traveling, road trips? Yeah, many of you. 
I love road trips too. Um, it's really fun. It's exciting, adventurous, the, the new places that you will go visit and new things that you will see and new food that you will eat. And sometimes you get lost and you know, there are some troubles, your gas runs out or you're, you get a flat tire. And, but those experiences are difficult, but it's fun if you think about it later on, right? But if, imagine you're on the road for like one week. It's fun, exciting. But if you're on the road for one month, it's not so much fun anymore. Six months if you're on the road, like, oh, no. <laughs> I want to go back to my house. I want my own bed. I want real food. I want the comfort. I want to be able to wash my clothes and, and sleep on my bed and eat at my table and just have the, the luxury and, and the ease of comfort of my own home. These guys, 600 of them, were out on the run in the mountains, in the caves, for how long? For months, for years now. Do you think it was fun? No. And it's not really a fun journey for them if they are hiding in the mountains. They are running for their lives. If they are caught, they are killed. So they are always stressed out. They always have to take turns to watch of what's going on. Yeah, they, take, they have the advantage, but they still have to watch if anyone were to come and capture them and then spot them out. So they were all stressed. They all wanted to go home. They wanted to end this. And they were thinking, when they see King Saul coming, they're like, David, this is your chance. This is your perfect opportunity. This enemy of yours who's been wanting to kill you, kill all of us, he is here alone. This is our chance. We can just go. Just, just say the word. I'm there. I'm just going to just get him, like, right there. It would just, like, in a minute, I'll get him. I'll have his head for you, just like you had Goliath's head. I will have his head in no time. And all 600 of them were willing to do that. David was tempted. David was tempted. But <clears throat> David does not do that. And all his men were like, you know, finish this. This, you know, we, we've been, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of this. And if David takes the throne, if Saul is killed that day, if David takes the throne the next day because he's next in line and he's already anointed, and some people already know, and, and Samuel knows that he's going to be the next king. So when Saul is dead, David is going to be the next king. And what's going to happen to all those 600 men? First of all, they'll get to go home. Nobody's coming after their lives anymore, right? They'll get to go home. They can spend their time with their family. They can eat from their table. They can sleep on their own bed. It'll be very comfortable and easy. And what's going to happen to them after that when David takes the throne? Ooh. You don't have to go take care of sheep anymore. You don't have to take your own sheep to En Gedi to feed them, right? Because you would have an important position in the palace, because you've been taking care of David or following David all these years, a faithful servant. So they, yeah, they went through a difficult time, but they spent that time with David, hoping, thinking, wishing that they will get an important position when David become the next king. And that moment can come today if King Saul is dead. So they got all excited, but they have to be quiet, right? <laughs> so can you imagine their excitement? Yes, we can do this. Yes, guys, let's do this. 
But at the same time, they cannot speak loudly. So they're like, they're all talking. They're all like thinking, what do we do? Can we just go and get him now? Get him now? But then David says, no, 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 you can't do that. David says, touch not the anointed of the Lord. So even David, David said, the Bible said David was tempted. David is tempted. Like, oh, can I do this? Is, really the, is it really the will of God? Does he really... Is he really allowing me to do this? Sometimes, friends, when something happens, when there is a, an event happening, there are a sequence of events happening, and it seems like God is leading you to this path, and you can very easily think, oh, this is a providence of God. God is leading me to this. But we need to be careful because that could be true in some sense, but that could be way opposite of what the truth is. All the other men said, David, this is your chance. God is delivering this chance to your hand right now. Get rid of your enemy so that you can become king. God had anointed you. Don't you remember? God had anointed you. So this is your chance. Do this so that we can, we can help God to do this quicker so we can go home and we don't have to stay in this dirty and smelly caves i can wash my clothes finally no remember some people in the bible who try to uh, fast forward a few things and messed up god's plan who did that remember abraham abraham God said, I'm going to give you a son. And he had to wait long years, somewhat like 27 years from the promise, the first promise that, that God gave to the birth of Isaac. 27 years, if I'm not mistaken. So he had to wait that long. Meanwhile, he couldn't wait, especially when Sarah said, you know what? You know, I'm getting old. I'm past my age. There's no hope. It's, this ain't happening. Do something. Take this woman, Hagar. And Abram said, okay, if you say so, I'll do it. <laughs> and Ishmael was born. And because of that, until today, children of Israel and children of Ishmael are still fighting. And Abram had to go through the test of sacrificing Isaac. So when Abraham tried to help God, and God, maybe you forgot about this. Let me help you. That ended wrong. And there are many other Bible characters that, that we can talk about. How about Isaac? Abraham, Abraham and Isaac lying. She's not my wife. She's my sister. Yeah, same thing happened. It, was, it came so close. Their, their wives, um, Abraham's wife and Isaac's wife, they both almost got married to somebody else, which is jeopardizing the line of Jesus, which can't happen. Jacob and Rebekah, they lied and stole the birthright. Um, Jacob, I mean, God promised that you will, be, uh, you will be the line where the Jesus will be born. You will have the birthright. But Jacob said, no, no, no. My brother was born 15 minutes earlier, 30 minutes earlier than me. So I have to steal this with this pottage, with this soup, bowl of soup. And covered his, himself with the, with the uh, hair of goats 
and uh, mimicking his brother's voice, lying to his father, and all that messed up thing. Jacob did that. How about Moses killing an Egyptian? He said, I'm going to deliver God's people. So that's what he did. How about Peter cutting off the servant's ear? Like, no, you can't do this. He did that. So when we cannot wait for God's timing, we messed up things a lot. David, yes, he was promised to be the next king. And he knew that that will happen, but David could not do, take the matters in his own hand and do this at his own timing because that would be murder. Even though Saul was messed up, he, he didn't listen to God, he disobeyed God so many times, and he, um, he didn't deserve to be the next king, but God said, no, wait, I have my timing with King Saul, I have my timing with you too. So wait until I fulfill this. How many times do we mess up God's plan and cannot wait, impatient, and do things on our own? We need to learn this lesson from David. And he's the one who waited for God to do his own thing at his own timing. When Abraham messed up, when Moses messed up, when Jacob and Isaac, everybody else messed up, David said, I'm going to wait. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. But he messed up later on. We know that story. That's coming up later on. But at this time, he waited. And we have to wait. And David could have said, you know what, King Saul, you tried to kill me so many times, I can't even count. I can't even remember how many times I had to run from you. And you tried to kill me, you tricked me, you lied to me, you used your own children to get me. I mean, this is not acceptable. And David could have said, you know what? You tried to kill me so many times. I'm just going to get rid of you this time. He could have said that. He could have paid back evil with evil. But what did he do? He paid evil with good. Like the sermon title could say. Overcame evil with good. That's what David did. Now, sometimes it's very easy for us to get upset, get angry. And, and lose our patience. But what the Bible teaches, what Jesus taught us, is the opposite of that. When people were slapping his face, when people were spitting on his face, when people were mocking him and mocking his own, um, his identity, you are not God. You are, you are blasphemous. And they were mocking Jesus. And Jesus could have just wiped them out and said, you know what, forget you guys. I'm just going to go home. He could have done that. He could have slapped them back. He could have had just one angel come and just pay back all they have done. Well, what did Jesus do? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. So we need to remember this. Overcome evil with good. It's very, very difficult. Because in our human, human mind, in our human character, we want to punch them back. We want to kick them back. Like, you know, like, you've been so mean to me. If I get a chance, I'm just going to smack you. I'm just going to kick you back. Or if I'm not strong enough, if I'm not brave enough, I'm just going to take the small revenge of doing something really bad. Maybe not really bad. Doing something a little bit bad when nobody else is looking. Have you thought about doing that? <laughs> Maybe you can't make the bold statement like standing up for your own right and say, you know what, don't do that. You don't want to do that, 
but you want to do something very small to give you a, a little bit of self-gratification, like, oh, it feels good to uh, maybe kick someone else's, like, wall or, or, or do something bad, like send, um, I don't know, like, a, like a, throw a trash in someone else's yard or, like, have your dog go and poop in that person's yard and just leave without picking it up. Something, small revenge while no one else is looking. We may want to do something like that, but the Bible lesson, Bible teaches, says overcome evil with good. That's the verse that I, uh, that's, that's the exact verse in the Bible. Here, Romans 12, actually it's on this, uh, I will show you later, it's on the screen, but um, basically that's what the Bible teaches. Do not repay anyone with evil for evil. Do not, do, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what it says in Romans chapter 12. So that's what David does. He waits for God's timing, and he let God pay Saul back instead of having him uh, putting his own hand on Saul. Here is a quote that I want to share uh, from Estebaba commentary on, uh, about 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 7. And it says, it's on the screen, perhaps his men, like the disciples later, were looking forward to the positions of honor they would occupy when the kingdom of David was established. They had reached a place where they were not satisfied with the meager fare and the days and nights of vigilant watching and run away, uh, running away. Now that Saul was in their hand, they exultingly thought the, cause was, the case was won and were impatient to end their long vigil. David corrected them by apologizing for even the slight liberty he had taken in spoiling the king's garment. He probably informed them, as he later told the king, that the only way to true success is to await what? God's hour. So we wait for God's timing. That is true success. Until that time comes, we have to wait. You know, God could have wiped out this humanity. God could have killed Satan, like Lucifer, right there, right then, because God knows what is best. And people will trust his judgment. Angels and the heavenly beings will trust his judgment. But God said, no, I'm going to wait. This, I'm going to play this waiting game. This, this waiting game would give me pain, get my son, Jesus, killed, and uh, cause suffering and pain into humanity and the whole universe will go through suffering. But I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait it out for everyone, every single person, every single soul to recognize and say, God, you are right. You've waited all this time for everyone to see that no one will doubt. Everyone will know that Satan was wrong, sin was wrong. God, you were right. Until everyone understands, God says, wait. Even though that caused me pain, I'm going to wait. But you know, David goes and does a small revenge. He goes and takes the piece of uh, King Saul's robe. I mean, <laughs> I wonder how he felt when he did that. Like, I'm going to go and cut out a small piece of King's robe. And he felt bad doing that later on. But at first, he was thinking, you know what? 
I can do this too. You know what? I'm, I can kill King Saul, but I'm going to just do this. While he was sewing or cutting off the piece of his robe, I wonder how he felt in his heart. Like, oh, I felt so good. Just like kicking the neighbor's car tire or something. <laughs> um, he might have felt good, but later on he felt bad. So even a small revenge, God could have helped him some way, somehow, to let King Saul know. But that piece of evidence um, convicted King Saul later on. Because if you read the Bible, it says King Saul didn't really believe, pay attention to anything of what David had said until un- he had said, until he held up the piece of rope. King, look around and see your rope. There's a piece missing. And I'm holding on. I'm, I, here is that piece. Meaning, I cut off that rope while you were sleeping or while you were in that cave. I could have killed you, but I didn't. Even my men told him to kill, begged me if they could go and kill you, but I told them not to. When King Saul heard that, he knew that how close he was to death. And he knew he had 3,000 men willing to kill every single one of those people, and 600 men, how willing they are to kill King Saul, but David is the one who stopped them. David, that one that he is after, that he is willing to take his, his life just like that, David spared Saul's life. He overcame evil with good. And his heart was touched. And if you read, the scripture reading says, he wept. Is this the voice of my son David? I, I was evil. You were more righteous than I, I am. And please, like, forgive me, basically. That's what he said. And he repented. And he took, he withdrew his men and he went back. But what does David do? Does he now go back to his hometown and can relax? No. He doesn't believe in Saul. Like, okay, you promised that you will not follow me, you will come after me anymore. But David said, uh... I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. Why does he do that? And did Saul come after him again later on? Yes. It didn't take him that much time. He came back. Something like this happens again. In two chapters later, um, exact same thing. This time it's not the rope. This time he takes his water bottle and a spear. He takes those and he makes fun of all his army because they're all sleeping. Same thing happens. But David said, you know what, uh-uh, it's not time to go back home yet. I, I, I don't feel safe. You know, <clears throat> here's another lesson that I want you to, this is the last lesson that I want us to think about. God had given King Saul many, many chances. But he was very stubborn. He was very um, selfish. And he didn't listen to God. He was very, very arrogant and proud. He didn't listen to God. And he offered sacrifice. He didn't wait offer sacrifice. And he didn't kill all the animals. He wanted to keep them for themselves. Um, so he disobeys God many, many times. And if you read on in chapter 28 of 1 Samuel, <clears throat> God does not respond to him. God does not uh, uh, respond at all through prayer, through women, through prophets, God, God is just silent because King Saul just didn't, he disobeyed God so many times. But 
<clears throat> from the first moment that he turned his back to God until he's completely killed and uh, he um, committed suicide, until he ended his life, there have been many, many years, decades of time. Throughout that time, has King Saul ever repented? Was there any time that he thought, you know what, what I'm doing is wrong. I need to go back to God. Was there any moment that God spoke to him and he turned his back for a moment? Yes, this moment. His conscience struck him and said, you know what, he wept and said, my son David, I am so sorry. You are more righteous than I am. He went back. So there were moments, yes, he, he got rejected from God. Overall, he was rejected from God, and God didn't respond to him. He, he didn't reply back to him. But there were moments and times that God would speak to him, and, and he heard the still small voice of the Holy Spirit through different various events, like this event, like today. Like <clears throat> David could have killed him, but instead he cut off the, a piece of his robe, and King Saul was conscience-striking, saying that, you know, you are more righteous than I am. But eventually, he let Satan take control of his heart, and he went down. The lesson that I want us to think about is this. We can, as Seventh-day Adventists, as the Remnant Church, as children of God, we can be on the path going up to heaven, getting closer and closer to God, or we can go down the path, or uh, maintain the status quo, like just, just maintaining the status, like coming to church and looking like we are true Christians, but not really connected to God. And time to time, maybe sometimes, like King Saul experienced, we feel like we are crying. We feel like, you know what, we need to repent. And we may be on our knees and we may repent. But if we do not take that chance seriously and go back to God, then Satan can come and take over. And that moment of God calling us back can just wipe out. And that can just be erased. It can be deleted. And we can continue to continue on our path of going down. That's what we can learn from the life of Saul. He could have had gone back to um, God, and he could have been a great king. God could have made him a, a great king. He was the first king, first chosen man. But we see a few chances of him turning around to God, turning back to God for a moment, for a moment. That God, God was waiting. Saul, you can come back to me. You can let go, of God, let go of Satan's pull. You can come back to me. But Saul, coming, coming back to God, turning around, repenting to God for a moment, but quickly turning back to Satan letting go of his conscience, letting go of his heart, and just going down the path, just being led by Satan. I'm so afraid if you and I or anyone will look back and say, you know what, that chance was my last chance that I could have gone back, or that chance could have been a chance that I could have come, come back to God, but I let that slip away from me. When God was still calling me, I could have come back, come back to God. But then I let it go, and then I went down, down the path. I hope and pray that may not be your prayer or my prayer at the end. I pray 
that you and I will still respond back to God and say, God, please take my life. And Lord, don't let me just stay in this down, down, uh, down the slope or path. Let me come back to God so that we can all be saved. How terrible would it be if we can say, you know what? I once was an Adventist. I once was faithful. I once was on fire for God, but I let this pass. And now I am on the other side, outside of the city. How sad would it be? So my friends, <clears throat> this is my uh, prayer for all of you, all of myself as well included, that we would be faithful to God and we would not take this chance that we have in our hands lightly and we will go back to God when we have a chance. And then we can all be uh, faithful to God. In closing, we need to overcome evil with good. Just like David, he paid Saul back with good. Instead of paying bad with something evil, he paid back with good. And he waited for God's timing. Let us wait for God's timing. And let us not interpret God's way into our own ways. These 600 men were thinking, this is God giving you a chance. Go ahead and take it. No, when this was God's chance, for David to prove himself to be a great leader, and he proved to be a great leader. If he had fallen and slipped, yes, he could have been the king quicker, but he would have been no better than King Saul. He would have been the same person as King Saul. So we need to interpret God's way really correctly, because if you look at it from the man's eyes, man's glasses, you can very much, very well interpret it in that way. Let us interpret God's way upon the word of God and the right way. Let us not reject God because if we reject God, eventually we will go down the path. Let us accept God and his, the calling of the Holy Spirit so that we can all go to heaven. Our offering today is for the local church budget, so please keep that in mind when you give your tithes and offerings so that we can all support our church. Let us have a prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for the story that we have heard today of David and King Saul. How, God, you have um, given David this chance, this opportunity that other people might interpret it as King David. This is for your chance to be king. But Lord, this was chance for him to prove to King David, to David, that he is going to wait for God's timing. And he's going to be patient. He's going to overcome evil with good. Help us to follow the example of David. Help us to pay back others with good. Help us to be like Jesus, saying that, God, we can pray for our enemies. So, Lord, please bless us so that we can be like Jesus. We can be like David in this story. Bless all of us, Lord, and bless all the offerings and the tithes that are giving back to you. Please bless this offering. Bless your church. Bless your mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Christine, please come on up.